Okay, so today we're going to talk about thin lenses. Uh, before I do that, any questions from last time or questions from the homework that you wanted, you have a dying desire to know? The solutions will be posted by the time the class is over. So you can go to the website and download next week's homework and also download the solutions. Oops, that was not supposed to happen. Are we going to get our homework back eventually so that we can start this again? Yeah, 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 you'll get it back. So depending on how ambitious I am, you'll get it back next time or next week. So usually I get it back next time, but I also usually give myself the weekend to grade it. So we'll see. Um, okay, a couple comments. You may have noticed that some of the problems in the homework are very similar to problems in the book. So I'll probably be doing that throughout the semester, although I'm not necessarily going to do them exactly the same as the book. So the book has answers in the back. You can use those to guide yourself, but oftentimes I'll change up parts of the problem so that the answers aren't the same. So just be aware of that. Don't expect that because the problem looks similar that it is necessarily the same. And then also, the answers in the back of the book aren't necessarily correct. So they make mistakes too. Okay, so just something to be aware of. I think both of those issues happen on this one. Okay, so um, to sort of remind you where we were last time, we had used Fermat's principle to find the shape of a spherical surface. So the only parameter you need to define the shape of a spherical surface is the radius of curvature. For a lens or a surface that will take an object located a distance s1 away from that surface and image it to a point located s2 on the other side of the surface. And Fermat's principle told us that all rays had to travel the same path. That is, the deviation in the path length had to be 0 for rays that traveled along this path 1. Call it path 1. And rays that traveled along path 2. And if we want a decent imaging system, then all the rays intercepted by this surface should get, all the rays that are emitted from a particular object should get imaged to a point over here in image space. And so all these rays should have the same path length. If that's the case, the light can take any one of those rays to get to this point. And so we uh, wrote that path length as a function of the height at which the ray intercepts the surface. We differentiated that with respect to the, uh, the height. And we set that equal to 0 to find the uh, extremum of that optical path. And we solved the expression that we got for this, which is the imaging equation for a spherical interface. So that says, if you've got some material over here and a spherical surface, an object over here in object space will get imaged over here in image space based on that equation. We have n1, n2. Is this a what or a lens? It's neither a mirror nor a lens. It's a surface. Okay, So this would be, for example, um, let's say you've got a marble. Anybody remember cat's eyes as they refer to marble? A marble with some stuff inside of it. A marble is made out of glass. 
it has an index that's different than that in the air. And if you have something embedded in that marble, and you ask, where does that embedded object appear from somebody viewing it in the air, you could use this imaging equation where your object is now inside the dense material, inside the glass, and your image is on the outside. And in the case of the marble, the image is actually going to be at a negative location. It's going to appear to be inside the marble. Um, another example of this might be a fish tank. Maybe you've got a bowed fish tank. And you want to ask the question, where do you appear to the fish? So the fish is in here. You're out here. Where does it look like you are? And depending on the curvature of that fish tank, you may actually get, there may be a little virtual image of you over here. If that's the case, as the fish swims by, you'll see an image of yourself projected on the fish. Chances are, with typical fish tanks, the curvature is not great enough to do that, and the image is actually virtual and over here. And we'll talk about what that means for an image to be virtual today. Um, but it's not a lens in the sense that it's not an element that we put in the middle of a system and have air on either side. It's just an interface between two different types of materials. So that's not what we deal with most of the time in optics labs or in experiments. Uh, much more frequently, we're dealing with things that look like this, which are a pair of interfaces. If you have a pair of interfaces and some material in between them, usually glass, we call that a lens. And that's nice because it lets you stick that element into an optical system, and then your object and your image space can both be in air. Right? So if you want to use that, for example, to focus light onto some film, the film can be on the back of a camera in air. It doesn't need to be dunked in a tank of water or embedded in a thing of glass or such. OK, so we want to extend this, um, this analysis to a surface or an object that has two surfaces. And that will give us an expression for imaging by a thin lens, called the thin lens equation. So let me redraw the diagram we had last time. And everything from B to the right is new. But if we cover that up, this is the diagram we had last time that we used to derive the imaging by a surface equation. And now what we'll do is we'll just let this image at point B. So at point A, we had an object. The rays from that object get imaged to point B. Or if you like, we had a ray coming from point A that passes through point B. And now what we'll ask is, where does a ray coming from point B get imaged out here if it passes through a second interface? And we'll start with a fairly general situation where we have material 1 over here, material 2 over here, and we're calling this material 4 over here, just so that at each interface, we can talk about this is, area, this is sort of area 1, this is area 2, this is area 3, and this is area 4. So I have n1 and n2 across this interface. n3 and n4 is the indices on the left and right side of this interface. And so clearly n2 and n3 are going to be the same thing. OK, so this 
might be my lens, this material here. And it's going to have some thickness, d, which I'm going to consider a parameter for this problem. And what that does is it lets me write this object distance. So when I talk about this surface taking this object and producing an image over here at C, this object distance I can now write in terms of the thickness of the lens minus the image distance for this object from the first interface. Okay, So I take this same expression for imaging by an interface, and I just plug in different values here. Um, what I had for n1, the index on the left of the interface, I'm now going to plug in n3. That's the index on the left side of the second interface. So I'm going to come up with an equation for the imaging of object B to image C. Okay, so in place of n1, I'm going to plug in n3. In place of n4, the index on the right side, I'm going to plug in n Sorry, instead of n2, which is the index on the right side, I'm going to plug in n4. Basically, n2 becomes an n4. And likewise, n2 minus n1 becomes n4 minus n3. And then what was my object distance for the first interface? I called s1. Now I'm going to use the object distance for the second interface, which is s3. And in a moment, I'll substitute in the thickness of the lens minus s2 as S3. And then the image distance for the first interface was S2. Now I'll substitute in S4. And I've got an expression for imaging from the second interface. So this is an expression for the first interface. This is for the second. They have identical forms. I just have different parameters that I plug in for each term. Wait. So in the, in the book example on this, So there's the image from the first surface. Well, ignoring the second surface. So at that, point, at that point, you can ignore this, and you get this equation for the imaging through the second surface. But if, if you ignore it, if, if that ray kept going through. Yeah, I could draw this ray just continuing on. And then it would retract up there, and then B would be your virtual image for right. the first one. Or your image for the first one is a virtual image for the second surface. Your image for the first one is a virtual object for the second. And I could draw these, I could draw a single ray that goes through B, comes to this interface, and then goes to C. And that probably is a more physical picture here, because it's actually tracing a single ray through. I drew it this way so that I could just take this exact diagram and reproduce it over there to show that um, really it's exactly the same thing. Okay, so I've got two equations. I can put I can make the substitution for S3. I can make the, um, the substitution that N3 is equal to N2. That's the index of the material. So I replace N3 with N2. I'm going to assume that material 4 is the same as material 1. That this is just a lens that I drop into some medium. It's not separating two different mediums. Although it could be. This could be, say, the window on a submarine. 
So I could have water on one side and air on the other, but I'm going to uh, ignore that case for now. So I replace N4 with N1 and do the same thing over there. And I've got an expression now with fewer unknowns. I've got two expressions that I can solve, and I've eliminated a few of the unknowns from them. So to solve them, I take those two expressions, and I'm going to write them in a column. Here is the imaging through the first interface. Here is the expression for imaging through the second interface with my substitutions. I'm just going to add them. Um, when I add them, here's this term from the first equation. Here's this term from the second equation. I'm going to have to be, skip the step in the, on the slide. Let me fill that in. I'm going to have a term that looks like n2 over s2 plus n2 over d minus s2. I guess as long as I'm writing this out, I can write the full left-hand side of this equation. So when I add up the left-hand side of these two equations, this is what I have. These two terms I saved. This term, I'm going to combine it um, over a common denominator. So let me write that as n2 times d minus s2 over s2 times d minus s2. And I'll write this term then as s2n2 over s2 times d minus n2. And now I can combine these. And I have an, N, an N2D minus an N2S2 plus an N2S2 all over this common denominator plus N1 over S4. That's the left-hand side. And you can see that The minus n2s2 and the plus n2s2 are going to cancel. And I'm left with a term that looks like d times n2 over s2 d minus s2. On the right-hand side, the numerator here is the same, but has opposite sign as the numerator here. So I'm going to factor that out. I'm going to factor out an n2 minus n1. And this right-hand side becomes 1 over r1. This right-hand side becomes minus 1 over r2. Okay, I have an expression here which relates then the image distance, or the s1, the object distance for my initial object, the location of the virtual object for the next interface and the position of the final object. Or the fin I'm sorry, the position of the final image. I'd like an expression that doesn't compare and what doesn't depend on what's going on sort of in the middle here. 
just relates my initial to my final um, points where the rays where the rays go. Just relates my object and image distance. Conveniently, this term here depends on d, the thickness of the lens. And if I can assume that the lens is thin, then I can neglect this term. And if I do that, I have an expression where the left side depends on the, the object distance and the <coughs> image distance. And the right-hand side depends on the lens, shape of the lens. And if I divide both sides by n1, I can write that expression like this. This is the Gaussian lens formula, also called the thin lens formula. So I've divided both sides by n1. I have 1 over s1 plus 1 over s4. I'll identify those as the image and object distances. And then everything on the right is a property of the lens. So I'm going to call that 1 over f and define 1 over f to be the right-hand side of that equation. And we'll look at in a moment at what that f is and what it represents. Okay, so what is meant by this assumption that the, the lens is thin? It's thin compared to what? Any suggestions? Marie? Marie, your voice has gotten very deep. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this distance d is small compared to the other distances we're dealing with, which are the image and object distances. Okay, so um, that's often the case. I don't want to say it's always the case or usually the case. It just depends on your application. Um, but for many applications, that's a reasonable approximation. <coughs> And if that thickness is small, then these distances that we measure with respect to the vertices are approximately the same as the distances that we'd measure to the center of the lens. Okay, So we can measure those distances to the center of the lens, and that's still a reasonable approximation. Okay, So for the thin lens equation, these distances are typically measured to the center of the lens. And the lens is treated essentially as being infinitely thin, located at the center of the physical size of the lens. Tony? Um, what if it's uh, a lot closer than the virtual image? Or does it actually, or is the virtual image going to be also a lot closer to the uh, edge of the lens? Chances are this virtual image won't exist inside. Or this point B will not actually exist inside of the lens. Okay. So we'll do, a, we'll do some ray diagrams. We'll describe uh, in some detail today how to draw ray diagrams. But let me go ahead and just draw one now without explaining all the details. Let's say you've got an object here and a, a lens. This is a converging lens. and the light gets focused to a point over here. So we might draw a ray diagram like this, where we have the rays essentially bending 
once at the center of the lens. But in practice, the light actually gets bent at both interfaces. So you look, you trace these rays. These rays right here um, inside of the lens. Where is the where is point B? They don't seem to converge to a point and then expand back out like in this diagram. But if I trace them back to the point where they would intersect, it can be somewhere over here outside of the lens. So the first surface produces an image of the object, in this case that's moved back. The second surface produces an image that's at the final location of this virtual object. So the diagram that I drew here, I drew sort of um, for the sake of clarity and being able to relate what's happening at the first interface to the second and having two diagrams that look the same. But in practice, this point B doesn't have to be inside of the, this material. Well, if the lens is thick enough, you'll get an image inside. Well, the way I drew it, if the rays are still diverging inside the lens, then no matter how thick you make the lens, they're never going to focus to a point. They're always going to be spreading out. Now, if you moved this object back a little bit, these rays wouldn't be diverging. They'd be converging. And maybe they were going to converge to a point over here. And if the lens is thick enough, then that point would be inside the lens. If it's not, that point's outside of the lens. But it really doesn't matter if you're only concerned with where the final image is after the second surface. Yeah. OK, so that expression and those expressions, one for the focal length and one for the, uh, for the Gaussian lens formula. I should mention this is called the lens maker's formula. If you want a particular focal length, f is called the focal length of a lens, and you have a material of index n2, usually in air, what you would uh, generally design for, where n1 is equal to 1. This tells you what radius of curvature you need the surfaces to be. So if you're making a lens, that's a very important formula. Well, we have to uh, use a particular sign convention. And I didn't spend a lot of time defining the signs before. Um, I said this had a certain radius of curvature. Over here, we have a curved surface. And as I've drawn it, it's curved in the other direction. So the radius should be the opposite sign. Which one of those is positive? Which one is negative? Uh, is the focal length positive or negative? These are all things that we need to have a convention for. So here's the convention that's consistent with those equations. For imaging through a concave surface, Concave surface is one where, as seen from 
seen from observer over here, the surface is, well, cave-like. Caves in, yeah, that's the way people tend to think about that. That is a negative radius of curvature. And a convex surface would be a positive radius of curvature. Um, another way of thinking, that, thinking about that is if you draw this from left to right, the center of curvature of the surface might be over here. And if this you defined as x equals 0, the center of curvature is at a negative position. So the radius of curvature is negative. If, however, you had a convex surface, such as the second surface in our diagram, that's going to have its center of curvature on the right at a positive value. And we'll say that has a positive radius of curvature. So if we go back and look at the lens formula, the lens maker's formula, if R1 and R2 are the same, if the surfaces are parallel to each other, so they're both curved in the same direction with the same radius, then this term just goes to 0. And 1 over f is 0. Okay, but if we have a symmetric lens where they have the same radius of curvature, but they're curving in opposite directions, then this term becomes twice the radius of either surface. So they have to have opposite signs in order for that focal length to be something other than infinite. OK, that value of f, which we call the focal length, will be positive if it's a converging lens. And a converging lens, there's a lot of different ways to, uh, to say what we mean by converging lens because there's a lot of different ways a lens can converge. Um, sort of the canonical example of a converging lens is one that looks like this, a biconvex lens. Okay, so that's a converging lens. It focuses the light. Um, and that will have a positive focal length, because that's a convex surface as seen from outside the lens. Now, it could be that that lens, this lens, the important thing about this is it's thicker in the middle than it is at the edges. So you could imagine something that looks like like this, that's thicker in the middle than it is at the edges. That's still a converging lens. Okay? But it's no longer right to say this is just a convex lens. This surface is convex, but this surface is concave, as seen from the outside. So in the slide, I say convex. But that only applies if both surfaces have the same curvature. And the index of the lens is higher than the surrounding. Two common assumptions for the uh, for typical lenses that we deal with. Can anyone think of an example where this could be a converging lens. Yes. So let's say you've got glass out here. And this lens is filled with water, just some plastic shell filled with water um, that has a lower index of refraction than glass. Then 
the light going through the center is actually going to travel um, faster. And so it needs to go faster in the water, so it has to travel over a shorter distance in the water than the light on the outside to be focused to a point. So if you invert which material is the high index material, you also have to invert the shape of the, of the lens. That being said, for typical high index materials in low index medium, this shape would be a diverging lens. And a diverging lens or a concave lens would have a negative focal length. Um, the image and objects distances, I'm calling SI and S naught. Your book, I think, tends to use S prime. S and S prime. But the image and object distance, whether they're positive or negative, depends on um, the geometry of the problem. So in sort of a common example where you have an object and an image on opposite sides of the lens, which is the diagram that we drew, um, those distances were both defined as positive quantities. An object distance and an image distance. Okay, so we'll generally have a positive object distance. If the object were on the right side of the lens, we could just invert our diagram and have it on the left. Um, the image distance will be positive when it's opposite, it's on an opposite side as the object. We'll encounter some objects which aren't real but are virtual. And a virtual object will have a negative object distance. And the way we can tell that is if the rays from, this should say object, oh, no wait, that's image. These are a little backwards. These should be image distances. These should be object distances. And this should say object. If the rays coming from an object are diverging, and that's the case for normal, everyday objects, then the object distance is positive. And if the rays are converging, then the object distance is negative. Anyone think of an example where light coming from an object is converging instead of diverging? Yeah, you have to have a lens in your system. So for example, in this diagram here, here's my object. And light hits the object and then scatters in all directions, so the light's diverging as it leaves that object. If I wanted to now draw another lens here, so maybe I've got a more complicated optical system with two lenses in it. The object that this lens sees is actually a virtual object that was going to be right there, but the action of this lens changes where those rays go. 
And so the object, the rays coming in from the object are converging here. And so we would say that's a negative object distance. And it kind of makes sense as you look at this. The place the object would have been is on the opposite side of the, the lens. So I'll fix up this table and uh, represent it when we get to more complicated systems. Okay, so for a thin lens, there are some terms that we need to define. When we deal with thick lenses, there's going to be even more terms that we have to define. Um, we already talked about this quantity f, which we call the focal length of the lens. And it defines how strong the lens is, how large an effect it has on the optical system. So the focal length, if we went back to our um, Gaussian lens formula, which said 1 over s naught plus 1 over si equals 1 over f, essentially what that focal length is, is it's the location that an image is located if the object is at infinity. So an object at infinity means that the rays are coming in parallel, coming in collimated. And if object distance is at infinity, this term goes to 0, and f equals si. Okay, so it's a place where an image is located for an infinitely far object. An easy way to find the focal length of a lens is to take an object that's located very far away. Bring this out because this is a lens. A convenient object that you can use that's located far away is the sun. Let's see if it's early enough in the morning to do this demonstration. That's not quite. Well, maybe. This demonstration is not going that well, is it? Okay, well, come on up because you're not going to be able to see it from there. So all an overhead projector is is a lens and a mirror. That without without the mirror, this would project an image onto the ceiling. There's a mirror that steers that 90 degrees. And if I put a piece of paper right about here, I can pretty much burn someone's homework. <laughs> but you're going to have to really come around to see this. So I'm looking at the reflection in the glass. Oh, that works. OK. You can see right, the bright light coming from the, the lens. And right about here is where it's focused. It's not actually focused to a point because the sun has some spatial extent. So I actually see an image of the sun. It has some finite size. Right? And so the distance from the paper the lens is the focal length of that lens, because right? the object is essentially infinitely far away. And you can move the position of this lens relative to this surface, because if your object isn't infinitely far away, you need to be able to adjust it so that the image of that object is on this surface. 
If you interchange object and image, then the object is on your surface and the image is located a certain distance away. And that's usually how these things are used. OK, so you can go back to your seats. I know that was a lot of work for not a lot of excitement. If, if the homework had burst into flames, that would have been worth it. Where is Casey, by the way? Casey, yes. That was your homework, so you would have been up the creek. OK, so if you have uh, a lot of lenses that you'll use in laboratories have like a focal length of two or three inches, something like that. For that scale, the distance to the ceiling lights is usually essentially infinite. So what you can do is you can take the lens, you can just set it a couple inches off the floor and move it up and down until the light is focused on the floor. So you see an image of the ceiling lights and then measure the distance to that lens. Okay. Next time I'll bring in a couple lenses, we'll do that. That's the focal length. The optical axis is the line that goes through the axis of symmetry of the lens. So if each surface is a spherical surface, there's some center to that sphere. And the line that connects those two centers is the optical axis. Okay. You can just think of it as that axis of symmetry. The focal planes are planes that are perpendicular to the optical axis that pass through the, well, that are one focal length away from the center of the lens. Okay, and then the focal point is the point in the focal plane that intersects the optical axis. Okay, so recalling this formula for thin lens imaging, at what distance will a, from a lens will an object located at infinity be? Will an image, what distance from a lens will the image from an object located at infinity be? Marie? Right, the focal length. So, so if object distance is infinity, this term goes away, focal length equals the image distance. <coughs> at what distance from a lens must a light source be located? for the lens to collimate the light emanating from the object. So collimate means make all the light that's normally diverging, make it all parallel coming out of the lens. The focal length, right. So if the object is one focal length away, then the image has to be infinitely far away. <coughs> Since this term equals this term, this term has to equal zero, meaning the image distance has to be infinite, meaning the, the rays aren't converging. They're not diverging, they're not converging, they're, they're collimated. Uh, here's a tougher one. What's the closest an object can be to its image? Two F is close. It would be right if you were an astrophysicist, because it's within an order of magnitude. So. First thing is, let's, uh, let's plot the distance d equals si plus s0 as a function of, say, s0. Um, one thing to note is that if I interchange s0 and si, the equation doesn't change. So this should be 
symmetric around some point. Should be symmetric around the point where S0 equals SI. So at what point is that? Let me just call that distance that distance S. So whatever curve I draw, it should be symmetric around 2f. Now, starting at s0 equals, say, infinity, si is f, and the object and image distance is infinite plus f away. So that's a large quantity. And starting with s0 equals f, the image distance becomes infinity. We also get that. This is at f. So it's got to go from infinity to infinity and have a minimum then at 2f. That's not the distance between them. That's the distance of the object. The image distance is the same. So the total distance between them would be 4f. So an object and an image can never be closer than 4f for a single lens. And you can show that pretty easily using calculus. Right, so write an expression for si plus s0. Solve this for one of them. Plug it in. Differentiate. Set it equal to 0. Take the solution, plug it back in, solve for the other term, and add up the distances. OK, so some other properties of a lens that we're going to be interested in are the magnification. So most of us are introduced to lenses when we're a kid through magnifying glasses. We know they have this property that they can make things appear larger or smaller than they actually are. If we have an object then we can look at its image. And a couple things to note. Um, the center of a lens has surfaces that are perpendicular to the optical axis. And as a result, this is essentially a plane window when light goes through the center of the lens. It sees a surface on the left and a surface on the right that are parallel. It's the only point in the lens where that's the case. And as a result, if we treat this as a thin lens, we can just treat it as being undeviated and going through. So if we draw a ray coming from the top of our object and going through the center of the lens, and a ray from the bottom of our object going through the center of the lens, those two rays are undeviated. And so the angle that the object subtends is the same as the angle that the image subtends. So we have similar triangles. We can use the Gaussian lens formula to relate the object distance to the image distance. And if we know those distances, then we can describe the height of the object and the height of the image in terms of that angle and the distance away from the lens. So for small angles, we can write that as alpha s0. That's the object height. The image height is alpha si. And we'll define the magnification as the size of the image compared to the size of the object. So we'll take the ratio of this height 
to this height, and the alphas will cancel out. And we'll get a magnitude that's SI over S0, the height of the image divided by the height of the object. And because this image is inverted relative to that one, I'm going to call this a negative height. And that gives me a negative sign in the magnification. So an image that appears like this on the opposite side as the object will always be inverted. And we'll call that a real image. The magnification will be negative. The image will be inverted. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. And the image will be real because it, well, we'll define what that means in a minute. I wrote this as the transverse magnification. It's the size in the transverse direction of the image relative to the object. A lens also has a longitudinal magnification. We don't talk about that as much because you, when you look at an object, what you see is some spatial extent on your retina. You see some transverse dimension. But it also you took this meter stick and you turned it sideways, the image over here would not be the same length as the image over here. You could essentially take as one object the base of the meter stick and the other object the other end of the meter stick. They're at two different locations. You could find the two different locations for the ends of the image. Take the ratio of those sizes and get the longitudinal magnification. And that's one of the homework problems for next week. You could also then take the uh, limit as that size goes to 0, and you get a differential relationship, which is the definition of longitudinal magnification. We're not going to deal a whole lot with it, so I'm not even going to present it. I don't know if your book even has it in it. OK, well, sometimes the image formed by an object will be on the same side as the lens. If the, if the image distance is negative, that means it, it's over here when it's positive. If it's negative, it has to be over here. So if we're over here looking through this lens, and our object is here, the image would appear on the same side. Therefore, it would be upright. So I'm drawing the same rays through the top and bottom of my object, going through the center of the lens. The angle subtended by the object is still the angle subtended by the image. When I take the ratio of the object and image distances, I now get a value which is going to be uh, positive because my image distance is negative. When I plug in a negative value into this expression, I get a positive value. Okay, so a a positive magnification means the image is upright. And it also means that it's on the same side of the lens as the object. Okay, so in order to understand what's going on in a system when you have a lens in it, one of the very useful things to do, and really uh, for simple problems we do this with almost every, every setup we have, is we draw a ray diagram that shows how light goes through the system and gives us some uh, idea of what's going on. And then the formulas that tell us exactly where and how big the image are 
we can use to, to uh, confirm our ray diagram and to get, to get numerical values. But this lends us some insight into what's going on. So there's four rules for drawing ray diagrams. Your book, I don't think, lists all four of these. Um, there are three particular rays called key rays that you can draw where the action of a lens is known. And then there's also our definition of what it means for a lens to make an image. An image of an object is a point where all of the light emanating from that object again passes through. Okay, so if I look at a point on this object, all the light that leaves this point again passes through another point over here, and that produces an image. Now, in a real optical system, not all of the light will make it there. So for example, this dotted line misses the lens, and so it, it'll just, this ray will keep on going forever. So in a perfect imaging system, all rays coming from an object point will pass through an image point, the same image point. Okay, so we're going to use that as one of our four rules. And then we're going to use the, four key the three key rays that we can draw as our other three. Those key rays are, one we've already said, a ray going through the center of a lens. And here I'm drawing the lens with some finite thickness just for clarity of what type of lens it is. But we're treating it as a thin lens, so we're treating it as if it only exists right at this uh, center line. A ray going through the center will pass through undeviated. That's one key ray. The other is that a ray that's parallel to the optical axis will pass through the focal point of the lens. We've sort of already said this. We said that light coming from infinity, if you have an infinitely far object, those rays will be collimated, meaning they'll all be parallel. And rays parallel to the optical axis, well, we said that object would produce an image at the focal point. And so here those rays that are parallel have to go through the focal point. And then likewise, a ray that goes through the focal point before it gets to the lens has to come out parallel to the optical axis so that when you do, do a time reversal of this, you have a ray parallel to the optical axis getting bent through a focal point. Okay, So those are the three rays. Um, we only need to draw two of those in order to find where an image is located. Okay, so in this diagram, here's one ray. Uh, here's another ray. Those are two key rays. This one was parallel to the optical axis and went through the focal point. Here's one that went through the center of the lens. If I follow them to the point they intersect, that has to be the image. Because all rays that come from the object will pass through the image. And that's the only point where they're going to all pass through, or they're going to both pass through. So if those two rays pass through the image, every ray has to pass through that point, or at least every ray that hits the lens. Okay, So now I can draw a ray, say, that goes through the edge of the lens here. I know nothing about where that ray should go based on the lens itself. It's not one of the three key rays. It's not going to come out parallel. It's not going to go through a focal point. It's not going to do any of that. But it is going to go through this point here, where the image is because it came from the same point in the object. 
So I can draw it going through that point. Some of the rays that I might draw wouldn't physically go through the lens, like this dotted line. But they can still be used to find out where the image is located. So if I had a perfect imaging system, this ray would go through the image point. The fact that I don't have a perfect system, in part because this lens isn't infinitely large, um, means this ray won't actually contribute to the image, but it can still be used to locate it. Okay, well, sometimes when you draw a ray diagram, you get rays that after they go through the lens aren't converging, so they don't pass through a point. So here's an example where the key ray that goes through the center of the lens is undeviated. The key ray that goes parallel to the optical axis and bends through the focal point uh, gives me two rays, and I want to look for where they intersect to find the image, but they don't intersect. They're spreading out. They're diverging, so they don't converge to a point. So in that case, I have to consider what an observer over here actually sees or what they sort of think they see. They see a couple rays that are spreading out as if they came from a point back here. So from the observer's perspective, they appear to be viewing something located over here. And that's the image that they see. You could put a second lens in here and focus those rays to a, a real image. This is called a virtual image. It's one that the rays that are coming over here towards the observer never actually converge to a point on the image. Okay, so there is no real image. But they're bent into a direction that makes them appear as if they're coming from an, a location back here. So that's why it's considered a virtual image. Alexander? No, you wouldn't. So if you stood over here and looked this way, you wouldn't see these rays that are going to the right. You'd be seeing rays that are going to the left. And those rays would be coming straight to you from the object. You'd just see the object right where it was. But you wouldn't see this because this is produced. This is the virtual image for rays that have gone through the lens and are going over to the right. So if you're not over there. Now, that being said, with this situation where you have a real image, because the light's actually focusing to a point here, you can put a, say, a sheet of paper there. And that point will light up. You know, it's being illuminated with light that came from this point. So whatever color this is will get imaged to there. Right, you'll see an image in that. I think I can do maybe a little bit better. Uh, let me try this before I have you all come up. I'm going to turn the lights off for this. And probably I'll get a better image of the window than I will of the screen because the sun is a little bit brighter. But come on up and take a look at the paper here. And you will see an image of the window. So that's a real image. It's not a shadow. It's not. Um, not anything like that. It's actually an image of the window. It has color. Right? If someone walks in front of it, right, you'll see that. OK. 
Okay, so that lens is producing a real image. That's why you can project it onto something like a screen, right? And then whatever's on the screen The image on the screen is what all of you can see. If, if this were a virtual image at this location of the screen, in order to see it, you'd have to be standing, you'd have to look into the projector. But because it's real, I can actually scatter it off of the screen, and then the light becomes an object for all of you to see. OK, so let's draw some ray diagrams. Um, we are introducing ray diagrams in the context of thin lenses, but they can be used for any optical system. And so to, to sort of emphasize that, we're going to start with a system that doesn't have any lenses in it at all. This is a fish tank. Okay. Where is the image of the fish? That arrow is a fish. Okay, but we can use the same principle, which is um, we can draw rays coming from our object. And we just follow them through space. And a ray that comes out uh, normal to the interfaces is just going to pass right through them. Right, so what we have going on at these interfaces is Snell's law. We have refraction. And so if the light is at an angle of 0 relative to the normal, it will get transmitted at an angle of 0. But if it's at an angle, let me draw a couple rays at an angle. Okay, So the light's going out in both directions. What happens to this ray when it gets to this interface? Yeah, which direction? Uh, this is a high index. This is like. Say this is water, and this is air. So going from high index to low index, it gets bent away from the normal. And you could, I mean, you could draw this ray, measure this angle with a protractor, do Snell's law, measure the angle of the output. I'm just going to estimate it because that's all I want here is a sort of a schematic drawing of what's going on. And then likewise over here, the same thing happens. And now if I'm an observer on the right side of the fish tank, what I see is a virtual object that appears closer to me. Right. So I did this for a point on the top of the object. I could do the same thing for a point on the bottom, and the whole diagram would just translate down. And I'd find that the image of the bottom of the object is located right there. And the object appears closer to me. Right? And if I know these angles, or I draw them to be, um, to be certain angles where I can do the trig, I can use geometry and trigonometry and figure out exactly where this, this position is located. Um, let me just diagram how that might go. If that angle is alpha, then this angle is also alpha. And if alpha is small, 
then Snell's law, which looks like, um, I'll write it as n sine alpha equals, on the outside, the index of error is 1. So my index is 1. And I'm going to call this angle here, I guess, beta. So that equals sine beta. And I can approximate the signs with their arguments if the angle is small enough. And that tells me beta equals n alpha. And so let's see, this triangle here has a side, let's call it a height h. And I can say that this distance here, I can say that h is this distance, which I'll call my image distance from this surface. So h is si times beta, si times n alpha. Or I can say this object distance times angle alpha gives me the height. And that lets me. That's not sine, by the way. That's si times n times alpha. So I can relate those two things and get s naught times alpha equals si times n times alpha. The alphas cancel out. I get the image distance equals the object distance over n. That's only true for a ray that's what we call paraxial, close to the optical axis, so that this sine alpha is approximately equal to alpha. But if it's true for that ray, it's very close to the optical axis, and I trace it back and I find the object location, that should be the object location for every ray. So what that says is, if you have a fish tank and the index of refraction is 4 thirds, 1.3, Okay, we'll use 4 thirds. Where is the image of the fish located relative to where the original fish is? It's 3 quarters of the distance in. So the fish always appears closer. Right? And that's, you go around the corner of the tank, and all of a sudden the fish was over here, and now it's over here. Because an observer on the left side is going to see the fish 3 quarters closer, which is over here. So depending on which surface you're looking through, the image location is going to change. OK, so that's an example. And there's the, the drawing of what that looks like of a ray diagram that doesn't involve lenses at all. So I just do that to emphasize that this isn't just for lenses. But we do want to talk about lenses, since that's what we're doing today. So let's do the ray diagram for a. Uh, Diverging lens. We haven't done a diverging lens yet. Okay, so what's useful is to draw the focal points on your diagram. Usually draw our object as an arrow. And if we draw the base of that arrow on the optical axis, then the image of the base will always be on the optical axis. I don't need to worry about the base, I only need to worry about the tip. Wherever I find the image of the tip, the base will be 
on the optical axis projected directly up or down from the tip. OK, so let me draw some principal rays. I can draw the ray that goes through the center of the lens. That's undeviated. So that's one key ray. What's another ray I can draw? I can draw a parallel ray, a ray parallel to the optical axis, and that bends through the focal point. All right, so as we did it before, that did that, right? It gives me an object right there, or an image right there. What's wrong with that? Yeah, that will, first of all, that will give me a real image, which is not what I expect from a diverging lens. The diverging lens is, is going to spread the light out, and this is bringing it together. Okay, so that's not a diverging lens that I drew. It's not the diagram for a diverging lens. The focal length of a diverging lens is negative, which means the focal point is not, as seen from over here, the focal point that it goes, this ray goes through is not this one, but it's in the other direction. So that ray doesn't actually bend back and go through that point. It just comes out as if it went through that point. Okay, so it does that. And I can trace those rays back and find the location of my object, or my, sorry, my virtual image. It's upright, it's on the same side, it's smaller, and it's not real. There's not actually an intersection of rays there. There's only a projection of the rays that come out back to that point. Uh, what other key ray could I have drawn for this diagram? Because it's useful to always draw all three key rays just to verify that you're uh, other focal point. Um, so what do I know about a ray that goes, let me see, an array parallel then comes out. Okay. So if it's going towards the focal point. Now for converging lens, I would have drawn an array that goes through this focal point and comes out parallel. But because this is diverging, I have to use the other focal point. So a ray that's going towards this focal point comes out parallel. Like that. And if I trace that back, at least to the precision that I'm drawing this on the board, that goes through the virtual image point. Okay, It can always be confusing. Um, doing these diverging lenses, I think just because most of the quantities are defined in terms of converging lenses, so it's very easy to get confused and draw a ray that's wrong. Like, let's say I were to draw, let me do this in a different color so that I can refer to it without confusion. Let me try drawing a ray that is not correct. If I trace this ray back, it doesn't go through the same, it doesn't intersect at the same point as the other rays. So I know that's not right. 
Um, other things that I might do, let's say I were to draw a ray and try to draw it going through here. I shouldn't have different rays crossing at different points. If you see that, that's always an indicator that your diagram's wrong. Okay, so these blue rays are wrong. The green ones are right. And once I've drawn enough rays to locate the image, I can draw any ray I want. So I can actually ask, you know, what should this blue ray do when it gets to the lens? Now, that's not a key ray. Even though it went through that focal point, that's not a key ray. Because the focal point that I'm concerned with is this one. This is just, this is just a ray at some you know, screwy angle, for all I'm concerned. But I can say that it's going to bend as if it came from that image. So I know that it has to do this. So I can correct that wrong ray. And I can draw any arbitrary ray I want now. Draw a ray that goes to the lens. At the lens, it bends as if it comes from the image. Okay, an object seen through a converging lens. You know what? We've done that one. Let me skip that. We can get to something a little more exciting. Let's do an object seen through a converging lens again, but our object is going to be located within the focal length. So here's my lens. I'll draw the focal points. And I'll have an image, or an object, I'm sorry, that's closer than the focal points. So I can draw the same key rays. Here's my optical axis. So one that goes through the optical axis doesn't get deviated. I could draw one that's parallel and then goes through this focal point. I'm going to skip that one for now. What other key ray could I do? Yeah, one that goes through this focal point. And if I were to actually draw a ray that goes through that focal point, it doesn't hit the lens. So let me go in the other direction and draw a ray that's going as if it came from that focal point. And when it gets to the plane that the lens is in, it's going to deviate and become parallel. And now I can trace these rays back. Okay, so the rays that I see on the right, I can trace back. If they were to have traveled in a straight line, which is what your brain assumes, then you interpret that those, that light is coming from an image that's back here. Right? And now if I want, I can add in those other rays. Let me draw that other key ray that was parallel and then goes through the focal point. And when I trace that back, you can see that that's going to go through the same point of intersection. So that confirms my diagram. Here's the diagram. Let's do one more. Let's get a little interesting. We'll have a system with two lenses. So here's my optical axis. Draw two lenses, and they're going to be spaced by greater than their focal lengths. 
And so just to avoid confusion, let me draw one of the lenses in red and label its focal lengths, focal points in red. And now start with an object. And I can draw a key ray for the first lens. Let's say I draw the one that goes through the center. That's always an easy one. I'm only going to draw it until I get to the second lens, because I don't know what the second lens is going to do to that ray. It's not a key ray for the second lens. So let me just draw it to there. Likewise, let me draw the other key rays. Here's one that was parallel to the optical axis, so it goes through the focal point. And here's one that goes through the focal point. This one's going to be a little unwieldy in my diagram because it's pretty far off axis. But it's pretty clear that these rays are going to converge to a point over here, or at least they would if this lens weren't there. Okay, so I can go ahead and um, you know, extend these as dotted lines. I don't want to extend these as solid lines because that's not actually the solid lines I'm going to reserve for where the light actually goes. The dotted line is always going to be a projection of where it would have gone if the lens weren't there or where it appears to be coming from if I neglect the refraction of the lens. Okay, So they're converging over here. So I'm going to go ahead and draw an image there. I'll call that image 1. And that image is going to be the object for the second lens. Now we call that a virtual object, because it doesn't actually exist in the sense that there's actually not light coming from this point. Rather, it's actually converging to that point when it gets to this lens. But I can do the same type of, of diagram for this. Um, so I can draw some key rays. This ray right here, which is parallel to the optical axis, is a key ray for lens 2. So that actual ray I can draw. What it, I don't know why I'm doing red there. It should probably be still be in blue. I can draw that ray going through F2. And now the other key rays that I want to have for lens 2 don't exist in my diagram yet, so I have to draw them. So I want a ray, for example, that goes through this point. Well, I can do that, but where should it be coming from? I know it should go through that point, but should it be coming from this point in the image? If I do it, then it seems to be going this way. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to use the fact that every ray that leaves this object point is going to be imaged down here by this lens. And so I'll draw a ray that goes to that image point. And in my diagram, all the rays should be continuous. I don't want to just draw part of it and then not fill it in. So let me draw the full ray. So a ray coming up from the object that gets bent through point F2 I know should go down to this point. And that ray, I know what happens to it. I know it comes out parallel to the optical axis. And so those two rays cross right here. And that determines my final object, which I'll call I2. And now I can just go ahead and all the rays that I had terminating at the second lens, 
I now know where they're going to go. So I can draw them in. I don't want to leave my ray diagram incomplete with rays that just stop. Okay. Every ray that I start should either eventually pass through the final object or should eventually just reach the edge of my paper and be un too unwieldy to do anything with. And in that case, it's OK to just terminate that ray. But it's a good consistency check. Right? All these rays, they're always, they only cross at the one point where the actual image is. And if I had drawn these and I had them crisscrossing at different points, I would know something was wrong. Okay, that's all for today. Um, I haven't posted the lecture notes for next week or for next time yet, so um, I'll try to get those up tonight.